Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door, where today we are turning our attention toward some extremes in the universe. And extremes can convey a lot of ideas and pictures to our minds, but the universe is a huge place. Uh, someone has said recently that it could be infinite or it could be a positively curved, bounded, finite universe. But even if it's a finite universe, it's absolutely amazingly ginormous, humongous, almost unbelievably big. Someone uh, working with a, a very top quality video production company, Illustra Media, one of their scholars that they tapped into said, well, it's a minimum of about 100 billion light years. Let me get that straight again. It's the diameter, if you think of the universe as like a, um, a surface of a basketball, and if you are like a tiny little ant crawling around the basketball, you just keep crawling and crawling, and you come back to your starting point eventually, right? <laughs> if, if you go in a straight line. So Nick Shalna, uh, how about uh, you? Have you made a decision yet whether the universe is is flat, positively curved, or negatively curved? Probably flat, because cars aren't shaped like upside-down use. So. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I don't know if I understood, but that sounded like a very wise comment. I think that's pretty good. That'll, that'll be our placeholder for now. Well, you know, the universe is big, and so that's one extreme. And you can also get down to the tiniest portion of the universe, and you just keep cutting it and cutting it and cutting it. Where does that begin? Well, down to the size of, a, of an individual quark. There are three quarks that make up every proton and neutron in the universe. I imagine quarks are pretty small. But imagine this, Nick. They've actually begun theorizing whether quarks are made up of even smaller pieces. Isn't that amazing? Yes, it is. <laughs> where does it begin? Where does it end? You know, Which, in a way, you could say, where does it begin in terms of the smallest things to the largest things? So those are, you know, one kind of extreme. You can think of the extremes of temperature. I think if you go inside some of the most, uh, you know, huge, brilliant, like supergiant, blue supergiant stars are the hottest. They also burn themselves out the fastest, so they don't live long. Mm -hmm. uh, they just are having far too much fun burning at a, an incredible uh, temperature. So the I think the interior of our sun, which is an average size yellow star, is a mere what 100 million degrees. That's a that's a, that's just a little you know little um, warm on that scale, but then you get down to there is an absolute zero of course uh, four hundred and some it was a four hundred and sixty degrees uh, Fahrenheit below zero you you reach where the place where atoms stop vibrating vibrating mm -hmm. it's absolute zero uh, so we have extremes in the universe but I'm thinking in science today we have extreme statements about the universe and how it came to be what it is today. So let's talk about this. And as we begin this new year on a little bit of a science emphasis, I want to explain that we're going to bring this back in on or connect it to a key passage from the book of Colossians. 
because the book of Colossians, it's only four chapters long. It's one of the great, has one of the great pronouncements, one of the great explanations of God's work in creation, specifically through Jesus Christ. And that's what makes it extra exciting. It's like bumped to a whole new level. It's like a quantum leap to uh, spectacular theology that we find there in Colossians chapter 1. i get uh, to that a little bit later. But uh, we want to thank, of course, the C.S. Lewis Society for sponsoring this program on the extremes of the universe. And we want to thank Trinity College of Florida for doing the same. These two cooperative uh, ministries of education have worked closely together to keep this um, this and this podcast broadcast, radio broadcast, which is now international podcast as well, up and running for 12 years plus. We're thankful for that. And we're thankful for the opportunity for the C.S. Lewis Society to be housed here at Trinity College of Florida. If you are listening to us uh, anywhere here in the state of Florida and want to just drive down twice a week, you can actually take my course on intelligent design, uh, Darwinism and intelligent design. Nick, that's a course that you've had here through the Quest program. Yes, that was an incredible course. Okay, well, I, and you did incredibly well. <laughs> a, a plus, you can't get much better. That's an extreme of a sort. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for being an extremely articulate and diligent student. And uh, I'm looking forward to having you. You were also in my C.S. Lewis class last year. Yes, I audited I, I that I audited it. You class. did a great job. That was great. Yeah, that was fun. And so we're going to be trying to uh, offer the C.S. Lewis course coming up next year. That'll be actually spring a year from now, January, starting the second week of January, a year from now. So if you want to save the date and mark that on your calendar for the year 2020, uh, you'll have that opportunity. I'll just mention also that uh, Quest class here, uh, it's the evening program, it's a degree completion program, has asked me to teach a course on science and theology. It's called Issues in Science and Theology, and that'll be starting in the latter half of March So go ahead and contact us if you're interested in getting more information here at trinitycollege.edu. You can just um, click on one appropriate link for the registrar or admissions. And especially if that Quest course is of interest, you can just contact the uh, click on the Quest link, Quest, Q-U-E-S-T. And either Dr. John Zook, my boss in the Quest program, Dr. Zook, or anybody else in the Quest office can assist you with that inquiry about the course on issues in science and theology. So back to the scientific topic for today. We're going to be diving into the the realm of extremes, and I'm thinking of extreme conclusions, extreme summary statements that are made about where we came from, about whether there was anything in the way of guidance, of intelligence, of, uh, you might say, planning or purpose. Teleology is a fancy word. Uh, Philosophers like to use these technical terms, but teleology has been banished from science or largely was put on the sideline of science when Charles Darwin proposed his theory in uh, 1859 when it was published November that year, The Origin on the Origin of Species. And Darwin sought to find a way to explain the beauty and the amazing diversity and complexity of the living world without uh, explanatory um, factor of a, of a designer at all. Now, he sort of threw in the idea of a creator uh, when he got to the rewriting the second edition of The Origin of Species. He, he threw in a mention of the creator in the last paragraph of the book. 
when he referred to Nick that origin of the first living things. You know, isn't that interesting that he he said, well, maybe we can let the creator do that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, where where we can't explain it. Yeah, he can do that stuff. He he seemed to hit a wall there. Well, we're going to talk about that wall and how people on different sides of the equation or different sides of the of the debate are handling that particular wall. But I'm going to read to give one side of the extreme. I'm going to read what comes from a book I referred to last week as we were going through the Christmas uh, prophecy. Uh, I referred to a book, and it's a very brief book. It's uh, not his only book on the topic of atheism, promoting atheism. The author is Sam Harris, and it's called Letter to a Christian Nation. And here's the shocker. Okay, I hope everybody is sitting down. This is what he says on page 68. And when I saw this, I not only dog-eared the page, I wrote a kind of a jagged line to one side as if to say, come back and critique this, you know, tear it apart. Because this this statement is shocking for its uh, just brute claim, its stark claim. Here's what Sam Harris says about the fact of life. All complex life on Earth has developed from a simpler from simpler life forms over billions of years. This is a fact. Notice, this is a fact that no longer admits of intelligent dispute. Wow. Boy, I guess I'm ruled out at that point. <laughs> if you doubt that human beings evolved from prior species, you may as well doubt that the sun is a star. Let me stop right there. Looking for a comparison. I don't understand what he's... I don't get it. I'm sorry, Sam Harris. I do not doubt that the sun is a star. And if you can explain to me how that is equivalent, that's just, you know, the sun being a star, it's it's a naming uh, tradition. And so everybody, 100% of... It just sounds like he's writing off an argument by analogy that just doesn't... Exactly. He is. It's that's what exactly it is. It's it's a very poor. It's a pathetically. It's it's a it's a hilariously poor argument. He says, if you doubt that human beings evolved from prior species, you may as well doubt that the sun is a star. Granted, I'm just barging ahead here in this this uh, princely paragraph. He says, granted, the sun doesn't seem like an ordinary star, but we all know that it is a star that just happens to be relatively close to the Earth. Imagine for potential embarrassment if your religious faith rested on the presumption that the sun was not a star at all. You see, and he just, he continues for the rest of this paragraph. I'm not going to bother to read the next three sentences. But he's trying to say that if you, if you believe that we were created and not evolved from prior species, then you're just plainly denying what is obviously true. Yeah, I'm just bewildered by the thought that he he doesn't explain why it's true. He just explains more of the analogy instead of telling us exactly. why. Exactly. And, you know, when I looked for supporting evidence in this section of the book, he has nothing to author, offer. Now, uh, he does mention intelligent design. He goes into this about uh, two pages later. I'm just turning to page 71 now. And he says here, many Christians who want to cast doubt upon the truth of evolution now advocate something called intelligent design. The problem with ID, and of course ID stands for the word intelligent design, is that it is nothing more than a program of political and religious advocacy 
masquerading as science. Mm -hmm. So, Nick, you and I are just involved in a masquerade. We're putting on a mask. Isn't that interesting to be informed of that? I mean, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad yeah. to know that. Appreciate you know, that. I'm yeah. going to make sure my mask is in place. Let's say. <laughs> He says it's a, a program of political and religious advocacy. Well, that's funny because intelligent design has been rebuked by creationists for not naming the creator. Mm -hmm. that's, that's why certain creationists don't like it. Exactly. They, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't want to go into details here, but uh, Hugh Ross has actually written an article. I'm, I've asked him to remove it from his website, and he has so far declined. I asked him, you know, on multiple occasions, directly or indirectly. But he says intelligent design is just religion, not science. Okay, and, and excuse me, I'll, I'll clarify. He says intelligent design is not a science at all. Okay, uh, I've had young Earth creation advocates tell me it's it's you know it's it's, it's not valid because it doesn't name the creator. Uh, the theistic evolutionists don't like intelligent design because it doubts the the theory of Darwinian evolution, and so. <laughs> It's so funny. It's so funny that everybody is attacking intelligent design mm -hmm. for like a half a dozen different reasons. But nobody's dismantling it. No They're one has really touched the core arguments for intelligent design, and they haven't gotten to first place and even casting doubt. I would say effectively casting doubt on the number one argument for intelligent design, which is the argument by Professor Michael Behe at Lehigh University, based on the complexity of the machines that are working in every cell. Of every yeah, and, and you'll hear all the time, Sam, I think it was Lawrence Krauss who I've actually heard say this, but he says that we're just smuggling pseudoscience into classrooms. In reality, we're smuggling it out of classrooms. Exactly. And so, uh, as uh, a professor at Kansas University once said, uh, it's just creationism masquerading or, or donning a cheap tuxedo. <laughs> well, um, you know, what I would say is, if something looks designed, then you might want to consider the possibility that it is designed. Mm -hmm. uh, someone has said if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it feels like a duck in a feathery surface and it lays an egg like a duck, it might be a duck. Mm -hmm. you know. And so intelligent design is merely the study of patterns in nature that are best explained, that are best explained by an intelligent agent behind them and not some, um, you know, random or unintelligent process like mutation selection as we see in the Darwinian theory. And it's important to keep in mind what we're doing when we're defining uh, these theories. So to get to the one extreme, this program is all about extreme statements. So we have the extreme statement of Sam Harris saying, that we really don't have any doubt, zero doubt. It's not even remotely possible for an intelligent person to doubt the fact that we've evolved from prior species. And obviously, he means prior species all the way back to a single-celled animal, which supposedly crawled out of the mud, assembled mm -hmm. itself by chance. Assembled all, 473, 473 genes. 473 genes, which were, of course, uh, are indicated by the most recent research as the minimal, the threshold, the barely existing uh, dotted line for a cell to be eking out uh, an existence again, doing not much of anything except barely existing. 473 genes equals 500,000 letters of DNA. Are we to imagine that a Scrabble 
uh, a mountain of Scrabble pieces dropped on a gym floor, 500,000 pieces arranged themselves in exactly the correct order. I would doubt that 30 pieces would correctly, you know, form the first line of, uh, let's say, the, you know, the Jedi, Return of the Jedi movie script, <laughs> right? What's the chances of that? Remote, obviously, that even like f- five lines, a hundred lines. But we're talking about the entire script and the script of five other movies at the same time, all forming, of course, by undirected processes. I'm sorry, I don't have enough faith to be an evolutionist, whether it be chemical evolution of the first cell or macro evolution from a single-celled animal. The so-called LUCA, L-U-C-A, stands for Last Universal Common Ancestor. By the way, Nick, that will be on the midterm. Okay, (laughs) you got that down? LUCA. Say it with me, Luca. Luca. Okay, last <laughs> universal common ancestor. And that primitive, hypothetical primitive first form of life, the Luca, that bug that is barely existing, was supposedly the Adam and Eve, the father of all living things. Well, if that be so, then why does the genetic signature in the three domains of life, the simple bacteria, the weird archaea bacteria that love to live in harsh environments, and then the largest domain of life, the eukaryotes, as those are uh, various uh, living things, plants and animals included, that actually have their uh, DNA stashed away in a nucleus. So why are these three domains of life so radically different in their signature? Well, that leads us then to the other extreme. We had our first extreme, all the facts point 100% to macroevolution. Darwin wins. Not only wins, wins overwhelmingly. Are you ready for the other side? The opposite contention is that not a single shred of evidence has yet been brought forth that demonstrates the Darwinian step-by-step development from primitive life forms to the modern <laughs> diversity of over a million species around us. Mm-hmm. Now, that statement was made get this, originally by an agnostic expert in genetics. You might even be able to guess who this Australian-based philosopher, but also geneticist, uh, his name was Michael Denton. And he wrote a book called Evolution, A Theory in Crisis. Mm -hmm. And he says at the end of his book, uh, at the end of 330 pages of argumentation, analyzing 10 lines of evidence for and against the theory of Darwinian macroevolution. And he makes this startling declaration that the Darwinian theory of evolution is no more nor less than the great cosmogenic myth of the century. And he's referring to the 20th century there. Well, if he had no religious inclination Mm -hmm. pushing him... An agnostic, He's an agnostic, as he writes the book. If he has no impulse, no, let's say, honored place for Genesis... Uh, in fact, when he gets to the topic of Genesis, he says, well, Genesis is ir- irrelevant. He kind of tosses it to the side of the room and says, yeah, that, that's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have no, no use for Genesis. But then when he burrows down with all of his, like, it's like sinking shafts when you're trying to look for oil. You do, like, to these core, core samples. You drill down here and you drill down there. See, he's drilling into the mass of supposed evidence for Darwinian theory to see if it can be supported to see if in the origin of life, in the origin of genes, in the origin of the ribosome, in the origin of uh, complex structures. He's like a forerunner of Michael Behe. So 
absolutely everything he says in those 330 pages are all converging on one amazing, extreme, if I can use that word again, conclusion. That there hasn't been a single fact yet offered, says agnostic geneticist Michael Denton. There hasn't been a single fact yet offered when he wrote his original draft in 1988, 86, 87, 88, when it began, came out in the U.S. after it was first published in England. Not a single fact has been adduced showing that Darwinian macroevolution is true. Fast forward 30 years. The network of um, the, you know, the uh, all intelligent design theorists are hearing that Michael Denton is about to republish a new version of his book. The first book was called, uh, in the 1986 edition, Evolution, A Theory in Crisis. The new book's title, Evolution, Still a Theory in Crisis. <laughs> Did you notice the added word? <laughs> Still. Still, yeah. Still. Evolution, still a theory in crisis. And this new approach to evolution, this new critique, is a whole leap upward and and more drastic, saying that there are what are called homologues. Those are defining traits of different species. And like the number of petals on a daisy, the number of bristles on the back of a certain... Uh, aphid or, or ant or some uh, insect, some one of these nymph-sized insects. And as, as Michael Denton explains in different domains of life, both from bacteria and archaea, all the way through plants and animals of a br- bizarre variety and just amazing structures, as he shows you these unique homologs, these defining traits, he comes up with a solution over and over and over that there isn't the slightest evidence yet that any of these features could have been, let alone were, but even could have been developed by Mm -hmm. a step-by-step gradual development. And so, as far as I know, still an agnostic, and I've been, some people say, well, he's an Aristotelian uh, proto-theist, whatever that means. (laughs) (laughs) But he's definitely not a Christian. He still has no, uh, putting no stock in the, the, the accounts of creation in Genesis or elsewhere. So what we're seeing here in the uh, recent statements of Michael (coughs) Denton is that he is just as extreme in his newer book, Evolution, Still a Theory in Crisis, as he was in his original book. So the extremes are are extremely shocking. We see, and I could give 15 or maybe even 100 examples on both sides. Uh, You'll see people say, oh, the genetics... Is, is supporting macroevolution 100%. Meanwhile, at the uh, Biologic Institute, Doug mm-hmm. Axe, who's coming here to Tampa Bay in April, April 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th, um, Doug Axe, the leader of that group, after doing dozens of very highly acclaimed research experiments on the genes, has concluded there is no evidence, zero evidence, mm-hmm. that macroevolution could have happened at the level of individual enzymes and proteins. After mm-hmm. he's tested it, and forced evolution processes to do what they can. The, the fossil record doesn't help them either. The fossil <laughs> record is a gigantic embarrassment. It's worse than ever. Mm-hmm. And so we see these extremes. Well, I would say the extreme statement of doubt about Darwin is winning the day and lines up with what we find in Colossians. And I said I would come back to Colossians, so here it is. 
We find it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And he, and it's referring to Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. He's referring to angelic beings. All things have been created by him and for him. And with this conclusion, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Well, thank you for listening to The Universe Next Door. We'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.